Welcome to Racing Heart, a podcast presented by the National Centre for Sports Cardiology, a centre that specialises in an athlete's most important tool, their heart. A quick reminder before we get into this episode that the views expressed in this podcast are designed to be general in nature and should not be used to substitute for personal medical assessment. If you have symptoms or concerns, please consult your doctor. In today's episode, we've got Bruce Carter, who talks through his journey of heart disease. And of course, we've got Dr. Andre Lagersh there to run us through the science behind heart disease and what we know through uh, as we talk through Bruce's journey. A big thanks to Bruce for sharing this story uh, and the important messages that do come out of it. I hope you enjoy this episode and thanks for tuning in. Welcome, Andre. Welcome, Bruce, to the podcast. Thank you, Alex. Today, we're going to chat about Bruce's experience with his previous heart attacks and heart disease, and then get Andre's take on where where everything's at, why this happened to Bruce, um, and the kind of the kind of research that's out there today. But first of all, Bruce, can you just talk to us about what what your life was like 2015, 2016? 2017. 2017. Well. What, what, what were you doing? Uh, what was going on? Um, I was uh, you know, director of a company that I had you know, founded with a few partners in early 2000. You know, I was working you know, reasonably but not excessively and cycling a lot. You know, uh, having a young son that was, was a man, mad keen cyclist and wanting to uh, you know, pursue it potentially as a long-term career. You know, I was out most weekends training with him and look at I, I was probably you know most weeks upwards of probably 400 to 450k plus um and a lot of it was probably you know pretty high intensity as well uh and i was feeling good life was good so you were training a lot you obviously healthy uh i was healthy look I, i'm i'm a bit lighter these days than i than i i was but you know i was healthy you know, I didn't smoke, uh, I was eating well, I was at a normal weight, uh, I was not overly stressed, uh, you know, I exercise regularly, I sleep well, you know, I ticked all the boxes. So, you know, if, uh, if uh, you know, you're rating me, uh, you know, out of 10 as a healthy lifestyle, I might have got an eight and a half. Mm. You get a 10, do you? <laughs> can you give someone a 10? Oh, I reckon you can. I, I would have thought your description there, you were pretty close to a 10. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like eight and a half. Yeah. There's never a perfect st- score. And then what happened in 2017? Um, I, I still remember the day. You know, it was um, September 23, 2017. So it was uh, beginning of the school holidays. So, uh, um, you know, Mackie was uh, wanting to go and do a... You know, a long ride. It was a hot day. I even remember that. And we were going to go and do a sort of 110k hill loop, sort of around the uh, you know northern suburbs back home again. So we left home from Hawthorne, and you know about halfway you know, around Cuba Boulevard, I had sort of this intense indigestion pain, and I just you know not buckled over with pain, but you know it was really uncomfortable and. You know, said to make it time. Look, I've just got to slow down. I've got really bad indigestion. 
you know, I'll take it easy. Uh, and, you know, I struggled around that ride. In fact, we cut it short in the end. You know, so um, it was probably you know, meant to be 110. We might have done 90k. And I was just exhausted. Came home, sort of collapsed on the couch. And sort of after that, didn't think much about it. Was that normal to be that exhausted after a... No, no, it, it definitely wasn't. And, you know, look, it, it, it was a... It was a pain, you know, I mean, you've probably experienced it yourself. You've had breakfast, you go out and exercise hard, you sort of get that, that acute indigestion pain. And I've, look, I had it before probably five years earlier when I was using a drink supplement that had a high magnesium level. So it was not something that I had thought I hadn't experienced before. But that, that to me, you know, that was the day that things changed. And then what happened after that, uh, um, yeah, I, I I continued to struggle. I I had you know every time I went and rode, I'd have you know I'd felt sort of just tired. You know this pain had come back again. Uh, I started modifying my diet, thinking it was a dietary related issue. Uh, I went and saw my GP, and my GP gave me some um, you know Somax, you know to try to help relieve gastric reflux. I was scheduled for just a, a, a colonoscopy, saying I was in my 50s, and he thought it was probably you know, just precautionary if I had a gastroscopy, if I pronounced that right, at the same time, all of which came back clear. You know, and I continued to have pain, so I, I was at home, not in the office, so I went and saw an alternate GP. Sort of, he asked me all the new, usual questions, gave me a different uh, drug for reflux, but thought I should go and have you know blood test and a and a at rest um, ECG, which I went and did, and all of that came back quite normal. But you know, I, I as I keep describing it to people, I just felt as though I'd had a few spark plugs pulled out. I couldn't get energy. You know, I was still trying to do efforts unsuccessfully. You know, McKay's had dropped off from sort of 450 down to 350. And, you know, looking back at my training file now, it was just sort of a downhill trajectory. And, you know, all the time I was writing it off as a, as a more of a digestive issue than anything else. More on the basis that, you know, I had this, this probably typical view of, of what heart disease was and who had heart disease. And, you know, I didn't ever consider that I would be a, a potential candidate or, or be at risk. You know, I, I, as Andre was saying, he thought maybe I'd, I'd give myself eight and a half, not a ten. But, you know, coronary artery disease and heart attacks was something that people who were older, you know, overweight, didn't exercise regularly, smoked and generally had an unhealthy lifestyle. So I didn't at any point in time put myself in that category. And, you know, if I had, maybe I would have been more proactive in, in, in following up with my doctors and, and maybe trying to direct them a little bit more uh, than I had been. But if you've been, a, <clears throat> sorry, two health professionals and the two doctors, they both said, no, it's all good, I've got this drug for you. Yeah. You're probably in your right mind to think, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, right. it's, yeah, 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 it's okay. Why, why would they not consider that, Andre? 
I mean, the, the the problem is that everything's easy in retrospect, and and um, and I can't say that if I was in in the uh, chair, I would have got it right. But having said that, on the other hand, when you're when you you're a heart specialist, you see things at the end of the chain, and and I, I call that sort of situation the Iron Man syndrome because I see it a lot, which is that the the younger person who's really fit and well can present with because your symptoms actually are absolutely classical for heart disease Mm -hmm. that you know i've lost two cylinders i feel fine when i'm at rest as soon as i go up a hill i've got this indigestion pain i mean that if if you were 20 kilograms heavier um and 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 had a red face and blah 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 people Mm -hmm. would have thought ah heart disease but the problem is and i tell people this all the time is that you know, uh, the expression, people will be standing on the tram and they'll say, geez, that guy's a heart attack waiting to happen. We're so bad at that. We, we're not good at uh, the stereotype that we've put as the heart attack waiting to happen is so far from, from, from correct, uh, especially looking at people. And then even when we do all of the, all of the risk stratification with, with blood pressure and cholesterol and things, we, we're better at picking heart disease risk but we're still far from perfect. And, and the, way that we, the way that we do risk scores, we can identify people who are at high risk. So age, as you pointed out, people with high cholesterol, high uh, blood pressure, smokers, um, etc. But they, they actually represent a minority of the population. So the majority of heart attacks occur in people who are low to low moderate risk. So we, we do need to, and it's a good message for athletes because without being, you know, without being too alarmist, I don't want people sort of out there riding and petrified, but, but young people and, and middle-aged people who, who consider themselves immune from heart attacks are one, not immune, and two, if they get new symptoms, they, they, they really need to be checked out. You were in the difficult because you did everything right. You went and you were checked out, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's... Um, you know, it's a message that I'm trying to push across to medical practitioners all the time as well, which because I just so often see this syndrome of people who I'm sure in another context would have been seen, you know, heart, heart disease would have been higher on the list. But, you know, to look at you, Bruce, you would say you, you're the absolute picture of health. And, and from what I understand, if we'd done more tests, we still would have said you're the picture of health. But unfortunately, heart disease is common. And yeah, and and at the time I thought you know I was a unicorn, unique. Um, you know, two years later um, I couldn't have been more wrong. Mm. Uh, you know, the number of you know the the more you tell your story, the more uh, you know you realise that a lot of people you know have been in my situation, and not all of them get this opportunity uh, to be around and tell their story. The yeah. numbers are, as you probably know just awful as far as the survival rate but uh, you made the comment about you know the Ironman syndrome and you know I I, in some ways you know in the 20s you know was a triathlete and did several Ironmans and you know continued to ride and I think you you developed this athlete mentality that if it hurts you push harder Hmm. and that's the way that I saw that pain it was just something that I had to manage it was not unusual pain is just something that you experience every day when you exercise you know so you know it's a it's a pain to manage not a pain to be concerned about 
And also in athletes, it's interesting because some of the people like uh, where you can look back retrospectively mm. and then know what the pain was. Often that pain in some people feels like the extremes of what they do with exercise. It's almost like it's coming on a bit earlier. Yours was more a classical pain. Some people get this shortness of breath and tightness, which which is not that different from what people would have when they're mm. absolutely at the limit anyway. Yeah. But it's coming on earlier and they're thinking, oh, what, you know, what's going on here? I'm unfit, yeah. but you know, why am I unfit? Mm. So it, it's interesting in athletes. I, I, I used to think that athletes would be hypersensitive at identifying symptoms, but it's much more the other way where exactly mm. as you just said, athletes are so used to dealing with, with pain and sort of you know working their way through excuses if that makes sense yes and so it's it's more more frequent that that you're in this situation where 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 like an example there was um uh, a patient i saw who arrested at the finish line of the marathon and then in retrospect i said you know did you have any chest pain he said yeah every time i'm getting this but i just thought i'd get it checked out after the marathon you know yep. so so people are used to dealing with a bit of leg pain or a bit of whatever and they sometimes just see this as one to work through and and that's got to be a key message here don't work through that one yeah and i, I think you know I'm, I'm guilty of it as well you you, you the, the mental process is i, I don't want to have something wrong with me that prevents me from continuing to do what I do. Yep. You know, because you're all, you know, you get into this routine, you get, you know, you're used to the endorphins every day. You don't want that routine to be disrupted and you don't want your program to be thrown out as a result of having an illness that prevents you from continuing to do it. And I think, you know, there is then this, you know, um, mental process you go through that that rules out anything that might be serious and you just you know come back to the point saying it's all right I'll just work through it so from this point Bruce when you started to get this started to struggle out training started to get this pain you're going to see these GPs what how long was it till you had your first heart attack uh well um can I just I've had uh, I've had one heart attack and one cardiac arrest all in sequence um uh, and I've I had further issues, but we'll 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 get to that um, mm. following that event. Um, yeah, so 23rd of September 2017 was when I distinctly remember having symptoms, and they just came on. It was just like somebody turned the switch. I don't know why that's the case. Uh, and it was on the night of the um, 30th of November. Um, um, you know, I'd ridden that day, which I think I, I went back and look at, looked at my file and I'd sort of done 40 or 50k, you know, that afternoon. Um, uh, Sarah went out for dinner, um, so I was uh, home alone. And, you know, I went to bed about 11 o'clock, um, maybe 10.30. I think um, uh, Sarah just got home, you know, I was stuffed as usual, was the case at that stage. Went to bed and three days later, you know, woke up in a white gown. Uh, three in, days? In, in, in ICU at the Alfred Hospital. Uh, I have... Uh, the only thing that, you know, I know about what happened on that night was from talking to the paramedics and Sarah and Mackie. So I have zero recollection of, of the event. But, you know, from what I understand, I was 
you know, Sarah woke up because she thought I was having a bad dream, was, was sort of groaning. She tried to roll me over and realised I was just more of a dead weight. Turned on the light, which is about one o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, turned on the light and sort of thought, you know, something was seriously wrong and called triple zero. So that was, you know, the beginning of, of a, um, you know, very traumatic process for them. What was happening at that point? What? So basically, Bruce, with with these narrowings in the in the arteries to the heart um, sometimes when the heart doesn't get, get enough blood flow it, it can it can become irritable you know from an electrical point of view and and so what happened on that night was was um, most likely that one of the arteries actually blocked so that's what we refer the the term heart attack gets a bit confused mm. here but the most common use of heart attack is when there's a blockage of one of the arteries and and that stops blood flow getting to the heart um, or to part of the heart and then what happened is what we call a cardiac arrest where the heart as a consequence of not having enough blood flow uh, went into a very rapid um, heart rhythm and then basically went into a complete what we call ventricular fibrillation where it's doing no meaningful activity at all so um, you know it, it's but people say that the heart stopped it's more like the heart went 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 berserk went haywire yeah mm-hmm. went haywire um, and and at that point essentially uh, you know Bruce Bruce died and it was a matter of him being resuscitated or or, or wouldn't be around and uh, I did after that look up Kerry Packer's quote from when he was resuscitated following his cardiac arrest and I can I can uh, vouch for the fact that there was nothing there right <laughs> I, I, I um, you know I learned a, a new term when I was uh, moved to the cardiac ward after I'd been uh, discharged from the ICU and it was it was called downtime um, not downtown, but downtown. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and the cardiac nurse came along and was looking at my chart and and said, "Oh, wow, you're lucky. Um, you had 35 minutes of downtime." And I said, "What's what's what's downtime?" <laughs> um, so it's effectively 35 minutes of, of no uh, voluntary circulation. You know, I'm I'm here for for you know Sarah's responsiveness. You know, the fact that she reacted as quickly as she did to call triple zero, you know, the fact that, um, you know, triple zero, you know, was on to Micah straight away and instructing Sarah to start CPR, you know, the fact that we were, you know, 10 minutes away from uh, the Alfred Hospital at two o'clock in the morning. But, you know, I, I, I learnt the pretty awful statistics after the event and, you know, my, my chance of or anybody's chance of surviving an event like that is, you know, 10%, I think the numbers are, Andre. Yeah, or perhaps uh, even slightly lower. Yeah, yeah of, of arriving at hospital alive, and I think you've got another, uh, you know, of, of those 10% of the arrive, only about half of them, you know, come out of hospital in a in a reasonably functional state. So, you know, the, the, the chain of survival, you know, on, on uh, that night work, for me, I'm you know very lucky. Uh, you know, my chest hurt like crazy for three months afterwards, but you know I'm alive. So if, you know, Sarah spent 15 minutes um, uh, giving me CPR, and then 
uh, Mike arrived and I think they thought she was doing such a good job while they were setting up, they left her to it. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, for talking to one of the, the markers following that, I think there was um, uh, three attempts to defibrillate before they got uh, some sort of rhythm back and whatever unknown quantity of drugs, I think, including adrenaline, Andre, if I'm correct, would have been administered. And uh, they uh, managed to get, uh, again, correct me on the terminology, but it's return of circulation, is that the right term? Return of spontaneous yeah, circulation. circulation. I'm, I'm close, yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, after 35 minutes. So, so the key there is when the heart's, you know, essentially haywire, the, there's no cardiac output. So the, 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 the body's not getting any oxygen. The brain's not getting any oxygen. Um, and so the, the, the race is to get electricity to the heart because when the heart's haywire, a big uh, shock of electricity can put the heart back into a, into a normal rhythm. And the sooner it is from when the heart's gone haywire uh, to when that electricity is given the better chance there is of resetting it but in the meantime uh, you the the applying CPR or cardiopulmonary resuscitation and heart massage is quite an effective way at, at getting enough blood flow it's just a mechanical pump you know you're pushing on the chest and squeezing blood around the body and that can give enough blood flow to keep to keep the brain and, and organs alive, if you like, uh, until electricity is given. We talk about sort of the golden four minutes, which is um, sort of the, the downtime, if there were no CPR, where there's a good chance of electricity resetting things and there being minimal damage to the body. But that four minutes can be prolonged with good CPR. And in Bruce's case, that was he had very good CPR. The other factor here is that we know from statistics that young, fit, healthy people have better statistics than, than otherwise. There's something also, I'm, I'm almost certain that, that that eight and a half or what we'd call 10 out of 10 was actually extremely helpful in that situation because one of the things being athletic trains the body to do is to take up oxygen you know, very avidly, brilliantly. And so athletes can get by on, on very minimal circulation. We actually see this when we measure them when they sleep. You know, very little blood pressure is required. And, and so chances are that, that your fitness also contributed mm. to the excellent outcome, you know, that, that, that you had, thankfully. The, um, it, that's an interesting comment because the, one of the marker ambulances who I was speaking to and still in contact with, you know, after, after he came to the house, you know, it said when he arrived, you know, and they, they obviously they go home unsuccessfully most times. When he arrived and saw that I had saved, shaved legs and was re- reasonably fit, he said, oh, we might have half a chance here yep. to himself, you know, which I thought was an interesting comment. Yeah. It's, it, it, it is remarkable how mm. often and... and um, you know, there was a big study in, in France where they looked at outcomes of resuscitations across the whole of France, and one of the, the strongest predictors of good outcome was, was being young and athletic. Um, there, there's a few sort of... Because uh, some, sometimes that also means that cardiac arrests are more likely to happen in a, in a sporting venue and areas mm. where there's more likely to have good CPR. But, you know, in, in the setting that, like, like happened, you know, with you, I think if, if there were... 
I'm, I'm almost certain that your, your fitness has played into, into the good outcomes. I'd like to think so. But, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's interesting, you know, the, the general population's preconceptions as well. And following the event, you know, I had a few comments from, from a range of people saying, do you think it was my exercise that caused the problem in the first place? Mm. And I think the reality of it is, you know, it, it, was, it was my fitness and my riding that in fact saved me from, um, you know, a situation that was probably going to occur anyway. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, it's, um, I don't even know how to tackle that one, but it's one of the most common misconceptions mm. is that, is that uh, I think partly because people being as fit as you were and riding 450 kilometres a, a, a week is less than one percent of society and so people i think therefore the default becomes oh that's not right that's weird to do that and and it can't be healthy or something but every single you know marker we have that's 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 not correct and um one of one of the one of the kind of if you like funnier well not funnier but one of the most quoted examples is is jim fix who was the wrote the law of running and 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 he, um, you know, sort of was the picture of, of, of the fitness revolution in the sort of 70s in America and then died of a heart attack in, in I think, his mid or late 40s and, uh, and in a way gave birth to this whole idea that, you, you know, it's not good for you. What people don't realise about Jim Fix or, or often choose to forget was that he had a very, very strong family history. He was a heavy smoker and, and he had in fact only been running for, for, for a decade or so. And all, even with that had outlived almost all of his family members. So even one of the most quoted examples is, is, is horribly sort of misquoted. I mean, we know that if it could be that if it weren't for the cycling that, that that heart attack could have presented earlier. On the other hand, it could be that if it weren't for the cycling, uh, someone mm. might have thought to to think harder yeah. about it being heart disease. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. uh, and I would have been better off if I was overweight and a chain smoker. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been taken seriously. seriously. <laughs> I mean, the key, the key here is that, is that it's absolutely true that, that having a good diet, doing exercise, all of these things reduce your chance of having a heart attack. But there, there's just no um, insurance policies. And so whilst all of the public health messages, you know, the Life Be In It ads in mm-hmm. the 80s, and, and they're, they're brilliant and it's great to encourage the population to, to exercise more. But I think that the in the mindset that became so entrenched that people thought you do those things and you can't have a heart attack. Um, it's all about sort of relative risks and, and, and people should do all the right things but then at the same time realize that the chances of having a heart attack are not so massive that people have to worry about it on a day-to-day but if they have new symptoms it has to be checked out and i suppose if i went back to just very quickly to that um your original presentation uh where you had the ecg and the and the blood test at rest had you had an exercise test I would be almost certain that we would have that that would have led to to the right diagnosis and things being being fixed. So, if people have symptoms like that, they need to have um, you know a, a hard a, a more appropriate test to, to look for for um, heart disease. Mm. So, can you look back on <clears throat> this example and know exactly why it occurred? 
Uh, yes and no. So, so the reason that this occurred was because of because of what we call ischemic heart disease, ischemic meaning sort of lack of blood flow to the heart, which is due to this these fatty plaques in the arteries, um, which which like a sort of kink in the hose, if you like, just stops the flow getting to the heart. Um, and in that setting, so that's what causes the chest pain when Bruce was riding. And that is also associated with, with then um, having a cardiac arrest. Now, where Bruce was unlucky is that is that is unlucky to have coronary heart disease, particularly in the absence of, of much in the way of uh, risk factors. But then also unlucky because um, even though uh, a cardiac arrest is a potential consequence of, of heart disease, it's it's still only a minority of people. So it was it was unlucky on two accounts. One for a picture of health to have um, symptomatic heart disease and chest pain, and then secondly to have 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 a cardiac arrest. So I got the double whammy. The double whammy. <laughs> yeah. But then, fortunately, then played against the statistics, as you pointed out, very, very nicely, and did you know did extremely well mm. through the through the arrest. Can you talk to us, Bruce, about what happened after? See, back at home. Um. Uh, yeah. Can't. It's all a bit of a blur. Um. Um. Yeah. Back at home, you know, I had lost five or six kilograms probably in a week in in hospital. Um, you know, I felt as though I'd been hit by a truck. Um, you know, I was sore everywhere, particularly in my chest. You know, and the energy levels were pretty low. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I had about a week in hospital uh, in total. And um, I think on about day two or three, uh, I started walking around the block, which, you know, from, from you know, being quite active and being able to go and ride for five hours... Um, being able to walk a kilometre um, around the block, uh, you know, was a was a um, you know major event. Uh, and I, look, I, I, I pretty quickly improved from there. I still was in in at that point atrial fibrillation, which which was I think as a result of the event. So, you know, my atrium was beating out of step with with the other part of my heart. So, you know, if I test my pulse rate, it, it felt like Morse code more than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the right description? That's beautiful. I haven't heard that before. I like it. Um, um, but I was, you know, I'd started exercising. You know, I, I, I went, you know, two weeks of walking to then getting back on my bike. Um, uh, and, and, you know, working up to... To in fact, because our son was leaving to go to France to ride for a, a French team, which was um, on the the ninth of January, and he had national championships about four days before that, which I attended, and I was getting we were getting ready to jump on a plane to go to Europe, less than six weeks uh, after my heart attack, cardiac arrest, and in fact the day after I went into the Epworth to. I have what they call a cardioversion to try to resolve my atrial fibrillation. Um, so that's basically they anaesthetise you, hit you with a defibrillator, get your heart back to a normal rhythm, send you home again. So, you know, day after um, um, having that done, we're on a flight to Europe. 
and that was all successful. You walked out of there going, job you done. beauty. Yep, job tick, done. Yep, next. Tick. Uh, survived that event. Um, get on with life, basically, mm. was, was, was um, I guess, my approach at that point. And, you know, I, I don't know how far you want me to keep going, but, you know, I kept, you know, I started building up again. I was back to 300-plus kilometres a week. We travelled several times um, uh, back to Europe um, over the early part of that year and ended up um, going back for a, 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 a two-month stay from June uh, through to July. So I took a bike with me. So, you know, I was, I was out riding around France. We, we spent um, time in Italy around Lake Como and then went to the Italian Alps. And probably it was while I was in, in um, Italy climbing some of the hills that, you know, I was getting indigestion problems again and, you know, I was still having those uh, you know, problems while I was climbing, you know, hills around the Italian Alps and thought, you know, it's bloody annoying that this indigestion's back again. It can't be heart-related because I was discharged with effectively a clean bill of health from the Alfred Hospital after they'd scanned me and, and stented me. So, again, you know, didn't think, you know... In fact, you know, at that time and even following the discharge from the Alfred didn't classify myself as being, you know, somebody with coronary artery disease. That, that happened to other people. You know, so this, this reoccurring problem that I had, you know, with indigestion was indigestion. I didn't feel too bad. You know, mentally I was probably not in, a, you know, best possible shape. But, you know, I didn't feel as though I, you know, I, I had the same, you know, cylinders pulled as I, I had six months previously. So we got back from Europe in, in uh, July. I had a follow-up, just normal follow-up with um, my cardiologist in August, mentioned in passing to him this indigestion. He suggested I'd probably come in and have a, a, an angiogram, which is where they put a, a catheter into your heart with dye and have a look for any further narrowings. So I sort of reluctantly agreed to that, you know, two weeks later. You know, an expected... Um, to be a waste of everybody's time to be honest so I, I still remember so when they give you these these angiograms you're still conscious uh, they give you a mild you know bit of pain relief and you know I expected it to be all over and done within about five minutes and off you go you know thank you very much you're all good and probably about halfway through the procedure you know I'm thinking this is this is not sounding like I thought it was going to sound it's not sounding overly positive, just sort of the murmurings between the cardiologist and the nurse and the technician. Um, you know, so they removed the catheter, wheeled me out, and, um, you know, my cardiologist came and spoke to me afterwards and, you know, was suggesting that I might want to talk to a cardiac thoracic surgeon. I thought, well, this is interesting. Um, you know, why do, I, why do I need a surgeon? As it transpired, I'd had, you know, in the course of eight months by that stage, it probably would have been significant further disease developed um, in um, what they call my proximal LAD, which is your left anterior descending artery, which is the what I think Andre called, they commonly called the widow maker. Is that the right terminology yeah, for so it? Yeah, it's, so it's sort of the, the artery that runs down the front of the heart and supplies mm. the biggest amount of territory. So it's, it's, it's the number one in terms of our concerns. Yeah. yeah. 
So I had an 80 to 90% narrowing of, of, of that coronary artery and another narrowing of a, of a less major artery on the right-hand side of my heart. So I was not allowed to go home. Um, you know, go straight to jail, do not pass, go. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, was in the cath lab the following day having additional stents um, in the proximal AD, which was, I think, from my understanding, a tricky procedure because they had to manoeuvre around the previous stent uh, that was, was there following um, uh, my initial heart attack. Uh, which was why you know it was thought that it may not be resolvable with with um, um, stents, and I may need to have a, a bypass. Fortunately, it all worked, and you know I was out of hospital four days later. You know that was a, a shock, to be honest. And you know I think uh, you know a turning point as far as me accepting at that stage probably like the alcoholic, um, you know, saying that, you know, you need to admit you won before you can go into recovery, um, you know, that I had heart disease. Uh, and, you know, I haven't changed, you know, much of what I do, but, you know, now, you know, very much accepting the fact that, that you know, I do have coronary artery disease and it, it's, a, it's something that I now continue to have to manage. And I think following the first event... Um, I think it, I just felt it was a you know one off you know An one happen again you yeah. know just get on with it you know nominally as you said. <clears throat> There's a number of things there because I think it's a nat- natural human reaction as well to one even when something really significant has happened is 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 almost a, a little bit of denial sort of coming through. What is also interesting is from the cardiologist perspective because whilst I pointed out beforehand we're not very good at predicting the person who's going to have a heart attack what we do know is the person who has had a heart attack or who has heart disease are in the highest risk category and so you know when bruce came back from europe saying i get this chest pain the cardiologist has basically gone straight to the biggest test like bypass doing an you know a a stress test or any of that because in his mind he said, Bruce is at the highest risk and he's got chest pain. He needs an angiogram, which is exactly the right thing to do. And so although Bruce was saying, I'm going in and I've got five minutes and this will all be normal, the cardiologist would have been thinking quite differently to that. And, um, and the other thing that's, you know, for people who are listening to this podcast who have heart disease or who have had a heart attack, um, you know, there's a lot of... Um, sort of pros and cons and a lot of public opinion about some of the medications that we use to prevent a heart attack the most common and effective one we have being statin medications and perhaps in the past sometimes they were overused for um, primary prevention or preventing heart attacks before they happen in people who have had a heart attack they are one of the most important medications we have um, and we're always impressing upon people that, you know, that, that there's very, very good reasons for, for being on medications like this. And again, it's, it's, not, it's not like uh, you stop the medications and you're going to have a heart attack or if you're on the medications, you definitely won't have a heart attack. It's all reducing your risk and they reduce your risk about 30%. But, you know, these are the sort of things that we can do once people have had a heart attack to, that, that, that make a difference. And then 
even with the best possible sort of medications, there's still the chance of, of you know, recurrence and, and hence being alert to the symptoms, both the patient and also the, the doctor. And, and so that, that, again, was you know, good a call. difficult experience, <laughs> but a good call and good management. How do you reflect on the last two years now, looking back at the way you approached it, managed it? Um, I, I think, um, you know, following the event and, and you know, the best, best way I can describe it, you know, it's a bit like, um, you know, doing the Control-Alt-Delete on your computer. You know, it just cleared a whole heap of crap. Um, you know, that your ability... You know, anyway, it just put life back into perspective, um, you know, with, with phenomenal clarity. Um, you know, so you clear all the junk out of the files, you know, and, you know, I, I, I felt, you know, I, I went through a period of just elation, you know, with, with, with phenomenal clarity of thought, you know, that I, I assume most people have following events like that. You know, that sort of followed in, into a period of, of, I wouldn't call depression, but, you know, a period where, you know, I went through, you know, which was part of the period while we were away and, and I think, you know, my, my developing heart disease at the time probably had a, an impact on, on my mental health to some extent. And that, you know, was interesting following, you know, having the additional stents, um, you know, September last year, you know, that immediately improved you know you know my mental health and I was feeling far better and more positive again you know so this whole correlation which I think is also a very interesting one between you know head and heart is I don't know how how scientifically proven it is but the the way that my you know perspective changed immediately following that was extraordinary you know and I think for for all of us, you know, the, the, the whole family that's been involved in the process. Um, you know, look, I think there's been a, an element of, you know, I think you'd call it post, post-traumatic stress, but, you know, I, I think um, more so it's been sort of post-traumatic development. You know, it's been... It's bizarre to say, but it, in some ways it's been, you know, it has been enlightening and it has been a difficult experience, but... I think we've come out of it the other side, you know, better people. I'm going to sort of tread carefully here because, you know, mm. I can, at various sure. times when you've spoken, it's... Um, I'm still, I still get a bit emotional about yeah, it. I'm, which so, is, I'm not sure whether you're picking that up. But, well, absolutely, yeah. and I reckon that's completely understandable mm. and, and, and it must be, again, uh, strange because you look absolutely the picture of health and you are the picture of health, mm. but, but people would find it hard to believe what's, what's happened. Uh, one of the things that, that is difficult in, in sort of in raising awareness of these problems from, 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 a, um, you know, from a cardiologist perspective is that you know, there's not really... I think it's hard for people to, to fully empathise or to, to understand the, the gravity of what's happened. And, and that's true sort of for survivors. Because mm. um, I'm sure when, when if you're at a dinner party or something and you mention it, people would just not even know where to start to believe or, or, or grapple with things. Um, but similarly, you know, had things gone differently... Mm. 
I think it's really challenging for because you know heart attacks and um, uh, if we were to create the stereotypical type of situation, it would be it would be the middle-aged male, and and yeah. you know you've, you're living a, an extremely successful life. Your son's about to go off and compete, and you're training with him. Everything's going well, and the thing that 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 I sort of um, sometimes think about it'd be going off to work one day and 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 kind of not coming home. Mm. And you've sort of faced that and now you're on the other side. And when you mentioned before about Kerry Packer's uh, kind of there's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> I won't use the expletive, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now, how much does that ever consume your thoughts? Like how, you know, does that create a sense of sort of, of fear or, or more of determination? Um, no, I don't live in fear. Um I, I, I live with the knowledge that you know, look, I could have another event, but I'm not fearful of it. You know, once you've had an event like that, it does put your mortality and death into perspective. I mean, death, you know, after doing it, sort of tra- having go at it <laughs> once, you know, it doesn't, doesn't concern me. Right. Uh, you know, which might be a you know, strange way to look at it. I'm, you know, far... Yeah, far more accepting and relaxed about it. And, you know, if, if, if you know, fortunately, you know, I'm still alive two years later, but I, I do face the prospect. I could have another event, but it doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect me day by day. It's something that sits in the back of my, my mind, but, you know, it doesn't prevent me from, from doing anything. Yeah. Um, I just want to clarify as well, because what... Um, you know, with the the right medication and awareness, we'd yeah. we'd be expecting you to to live a good, healthy, long life now. Yeah. But it's more more just as you said. I think that that very few people um, get to have this perspective. Have, yeah. have this perspective, and and um, and I think it's a very varied response. You know, mm. some people are left with a sense of fear, and and I'm, I find it really impressive the the. Uh, the way you've you've approached things afterwards. Yeah, probably the the uh, in some ways the most traumatic part of it for me is is not what happened to me. It it it, it is you know the trauma Sarah went through yeah. on that day. Mackie was at home at the time as well. You know, one o'clock in the morning. You know, you're woken up to that sort of commotion. Father's you know unconscious on the floor. Um, You know that's, yeah. You know that that you know I'm talking about it now. I mean that's that's, you know what I get emotional about. Yeah. You know, and, and you put yourself in in their shoes, and you know I'm two days in ICU. You know nobody's providing any assurance of what my state of health is going to be when they bring me out of that induced coma. You know, so there's days of uncertainty. You know, there's that initial trauma of of that night or the event just days of unknown that you're having to live with and manage it's what makes me so emotional you know what happened to me seems still feels as though it happened to somebody else I, I you know it's not it's weird it's sort of you know almost like an out-of-body experience in some ways yep. I'm happy to do things like this to help educate more to save you know other families from the same event and trauma came out of it the right side but you know the amount of trauma would have been even more extreme you know if I hadn't survived the event 
In a way, just quickly, I can't. <coughs> I really think uh, everyone would be very grateful for the because the, the the other thing is that I find that once people, you know, people in your situation, it's not necessarily the norm to then go and be an advocate and to to share that experience because because it is you know somewhat traumatic and mm. um, uh, and and people don't necessarily want to relive that. Um, but it's really beneficial for, for people to hear this and, and to um, you know you're 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 an inspiration even though it was um, even though it was by no means deliberate. Yeah, no, reluctant. Um, <laughs> a reluctant inspiration. Yeah, yeah, reluctant inspiration. I suppose that 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 also comes to the because people will be listening to this and saying, oh, geez, I don't want that to happen to me. Um, how how can I be sure that that. I won't have a heart attack, and and a number of the things that have come up in the conversation are, are, are brilliant examples of, of of exactly how that works. And the first is that people who who have a cardiac arrest, about half of those people will have had symptoms leading up to the event. So just as as happened to yourself, although unfortunately weren't picked up, but mm. um, you know the first and most important message is if people do have feel like they've lost two years whilst they're cycling or have indigestion or, or really sometimes we say any pain from the from the knees to the top of the head uh, particularly when it occurs with exercise you need to get that checked out that leaves another 50 percent of people who will have a heart attack who have no symptoms and have no idea and that's the really tough nut for us to crack is to try to predict those people who are at risk of having a heart attack when they have uh, have no symptoms and the, the, the ways that we can do that uh, are firstly to, to check out people's risk factors. So to, to get people's blood pressure measured and their cholesterol, to know about their family history and whether they've smoked or have diabetes, for example. A lot, perhaps some of the people listening to that mightn't fall so much into the latter categories. But, but definitely even, you know, even people who, you know, um, 25, 30 years onwards, you should be having your blood pressure and cholesterol checked uh, infre- you know, infrequently, every five years unless there's a problem to get some idea on what that risk is. That, that helps us put people into a, into a low, medium or high risk um, category uh, and, and then we can, you know, then there's some preventive therapies or further investigations that might happen. The truth is, though, that we, we're moderately good at that at best in terms of, in terms of predicting uh, the person standing on the tram who's going to have a heart attack. The, the, the cardiologist is only going to be moderately good at that process. There are some new kids on the block in terms of trying to identify risk. One that's getting a lot of publicity is what we call a coronary artery calcium score, um, where we do a quick scan and look at whether there's any bony deposits in the, in the arteries of the heart. Um, and that is another way of, of predicting someone's risk. It's still definitely not binary. We can't say your coronary calcium score is this, you will have a heart attack or it is zero and you will not have a... But it does help us, if you like, sharpen the pencil. Um, but that that also is not a yes, no thing. I would not be recommending that everyone goes out and has a coronary artery calcium score. The best advice we have at the moment would be to get 
things done like your blood pressure and cholesterol and if that puts you into a moderate or higher category then we would talk to people about the pros and cons of a calcium score um, because at the end of that calcium score all that all that we really have which is still helpful is lifestyle advice use of some medications like statin medications to reduce the risk of having a heart attack um, and and then the other thing that that is really key again coming back to it is is the feelings of symptoms and and particularly if they're new onset they, they really need to be checked out what about the research that's happening in this space where 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 is the direction for that so it's it's a bit of a holy grail because perhaps i didn't say at the beginning but you know uh, coronary heart disease or fatty deposits in the artery is is the number one killer of, of uh, males and the number one or two killer of, of females around the world and in Australia. Um, and and being able to pick the person who's going to have a heart attack is really would be one of the you know the the great discoveries of of medicine. And at the moment, as I said, those sort of measure blood pressure and cholesterol. Um, give us some idea, but it's far from perfect. So some of the things that we're doing for research are things like um, genetic tests uh, to, to um, because we know that family history is a risk, which gives us a bit of an insight into genetics. But there's now um, tests you can do where you do a risk, a genetic risk score, where it takes all of your genes and and uses sort of a mathematical algorithm, um, which again can sort of sharpen the pencil, say you're at greater or lesser risk. It's still not perfect. Um, things like the coronary calcium score and advanced imaging. Um, all of these things with the hope that we'll be able to, um, to more accurately identify people who are going to have a heart attack. Then also in terms of research, because already some of the things that have um, occurred over the last decade or so have been significant steps forward. So, for example, you know, Bruce was saying that he was in intensive care for, um, for, for two to three days in an induced coma. The reason they do that is they cool the body because we know that in cooling the body, um, the better the chance the, the brain has of recovering and that's now standard of care and the research that led to that actually came from, from some investigators in Melbourne. So each of these, if you like, incremental discoveries can in themselves save lives. Um, so you know, our job and the reason that we're involved in this research is, is that we have... We have a big problem, um, which is which is heart disease. It's common. Um, it affects people that uh, you know where it's, if you like, unfair. It's not it's not right that Bruce mm. doing everything right should have a heart attack, uh, and and to be able to get better at predicting, and to be able to better treat and and look after the consequences. Things like you know having more availability of defibrillators, having them in the right spot. There's some clever apps now. Good Samaritan apps where, where people who can do um, uh, resuscitate CPR can put their name on an app and if an arrest happens you get an alert on your phone and you run to the spot. All of these intersections between technology, there's a group in Canada that, that are using drones to fly defibrillators into spots where there's an arrest. I mean, each one of these things might prove successful in reducing the, you know, making an impact on the problem. I've actually got more faith in in a whole lot of those little discoveries making 
cumulatively a, a big impact rather than there being a magic bullet, you know, where we where we find one discovery that solves the whole problem. I'm not saying we shouldn't try, but but that that seems a little bit simplistic for a, for a big problem to me. Uh, I'm not sure whether Sarah would uh, put her name up <coughs> as being. Uh, a potential resuscitator for the app. I think She's once, is, well. en- once <laughs> is enough. Fourth yeah. one is covered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think um, uh, you know the other th- thing that, that that perhaps could be mentioned is that you know uh, Bruce's has um, has also uh, you know financially been a big supporter to to help people in in a similar situation and 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 you know a huge thanks from that perspective as well because. It's. It is. I, my the problem is, uh, you know, um, I am a researcher, so I believe in research. I believe that the advance in 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 medical care comes through looking for new discoveries, um, and I'm really quite confident that, as I said, 20 years ago, um, it may be that Bruce's outcome would be different, and in another 20 years, it may be that Bruce's a heart attack wouldn't have happened at all and you know they're they're the kind of advances where where when you've got when you've got a, a, a face in front of you where you see the impact of, of the research it's really um, you know that's why we do it mm. and, that, um, and uh, that's why we support it you know we've as I um, you know we're we're looking forward to you know seeing where that research goes uh, and you know strong believers in supporting in a cardiac research and education. Um, there's got to be some good that comes out of these sort of events. And as I said, you know, I think it has very much changed our perspective uh, on life and the world. And, you know, we, we've got so much out of, you know, putting back in in a whole range of different ways. Um, so, um, you know, bad, bad, bad things uh, uh, can... Uh, you know, provide um, you know, a lot of positive benefits in the long term. Well, thanks for sharing your story, Bruce. And thanks for your support. Thanks, Andre, as always. Um, and thanks for listening. Thanks, Alex. Thank you.